Hebrews 5, 1-10. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Good morning. Good to see you all. It's been a couple weeks, I think, last time I checked. I'm Dave Gunlock. I work here sometimes. Uh, I want to thank Daniel Gaiman for preaching two weeks ago. Great message on the Passover lamb. And Craig Hill last week on the blood of the covenant. We have sort of a blood theme going these three weeks. We didn't plan it that way, but that's how it's working out. But really great stuff. And I'm Really excited to jump back in. I'll just to let you know what I've been doing since they've been preaching um, uh, for me. Uh, I got to go on two trips in the last two weeks that I have pictures for, just to get you into my life for a second. So uh, my wife turned 40 this year. She really wanted to go to Yosemite and hike Half Dome. She's never been to Yosemite. So we got to do that um, two weekends ago. There's us. You can barely see us. I swear that's us. At the top of your uh, half dome there. Looking down, you can see El Capitan down in the valley. We were real happy to finish that hike. So um, <laughs> turns out um, hiking half dome is harder at 42 than it is at 27. Just turns out. I learned that. Um, it was, but we were just there for two days. Had just a wonderful time without the kids and just delightful time. And then this last week, I had a wonderful gift of getting to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for three and a half days by myself. Which, uh, when was the last time you spent three and a half days by yourself, if you ever have? It was absolutely wonderful and refreshing and beautiful. Uh, I did some fun hikes. I'll show you one picture. This is uh, Taggart Lake. Um, Ray had a photo of the, uh, of the Tetons. I think mine's as good as his was, per perhaps, here. I spent hours uh, sitting, contemplating at that lake. And it's hard to tell which is sky and which is lake. But just a delightful, wonderful time. So I am very refreshed. I'm relaxed, and um, turns out not working is better than working. As it, as it says. No, I'm absolutely so, so happy to be back and uh, jump back into my life here, and, but had a really great time, and just beautiful time with the Lord, very much felt um, his love and affirmation and, and refreshment, so I was very grateful for that and grateful to be back. So we're going to continue in our series today. We're, we're midway through this summer series. We're looking at the person of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. We're doing that through looking at the Old Testament stories and themes and how he fulfills many of the themes. And the, the hope is that we come away from the summer with a bigger, fuller, more uh, 
diverse picture of who Jesus is. Hopefully you walk away going, man, I, I had a, a pretty narrow picture of who Jesus is. Now that picture has really expanded. I see just all the fullness of what he's done. And also along the way, I'm sure, hopefully you're learning the story, God's story along the way and saying, wow, this is really an amazing story. It actually fits together pretty well. Turns out it might be true. Like this is, this is pretty amazing. It, it, it really coheres. And so that's the, that's the hope and goal. Um, so let me just remind you, I'll take you back to our little images we've been going with, um, just to take you through the last two weeks since I wasn't here. Um, the uh, Israelites ended up in Egypt, right, for several hundred years. They became slaves. Daniel, two weeks ago, taught on how God, through the, the ten plagues and then through the final plague of, the, of killing the firstborn in Egypt, but pre- preserving the Israelites through the Passover, the original Passover, he brought them. Here they come out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and then they came to Mount Sinai, right? And Craig Hill last week talked about how at Sinai, God formed a covenant, this binding relationship. He said, you're my people, I'm your God. And there's really two aspects of the covenant that God lays out for Israel at Sinai. First, you have God's moral commandments for the people, which are articulated best in the Ten Commandments. And then along with that, you have the whole sacrificial system of building a tabernacle, and having priests and animal sacrifices. Uh, this was all part of his covenant with Israel at that time. And so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about Jesus, Josh already said it, as our high priest. And we're going to look at the, the role of the priests of Israel, especially the high priest of Israel, what they were called to do, who they were, and then how Jesus so beautifully fulfills the role, how he is our great high priest. And what does it mean to live today with Jesus as our high priest? So we're jumping back, you know, millennium, uh, back into a very ancient culture with very different um, cultural starting points. So journey with me, if you would, out of the modern era, (laughs) out of uh, 2018 Orange County, back to uh, 1500 BC at Sinai. So we're going to talk about the priests today. Um, Our passage, Hebrews 5, verse 1, actually really does a good job of summarizing what we need to know about the priest. So look at verse one. The author says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. It's a pretty good summary of the priest. Okay, there's three things that I see here. First, they are appointed uh, among the people. Second, they are appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. And thirdly, they're appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. So let's just walk through that for a couple minutes, okay? First, the high priests and all the priests were appointed by God, right? Look at verse four. Uh, No one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So first thing you need to know about being priest is you don't run for the office of priests, Okay. There's no elections. It's not a popularity contest. God appoints. He chooses the priests. And the first high priest he chose was Aaron, Moses' brother. And then Aaron's sons behind him would be the high priests throughout the years. But they're chosen by God. They are set apart by God's own choosing. This began at Mount Sinai. And, of course, he chooses Aaron and his sons. And he chose an entire tribe 
actually, to be the priests of Israel. What, what, what tribe did God choose? As priests? The Levites, right? He chose an entire tribe. Um, this is fascinating. I didn't, didn't remember this until I studied this. Um, so back to Daniel's sermon. At Passover, God, right, destroyed the Egyptian firstborn, but he spared the Isra- Israelite firstborn. And what he said is, now all of your firstborn sons belong to me. Okay? They're mine. They belong to me. All of them. Oh, actually, I think I have it. Oh, let me, I'm going to read it to you. I have taken the, the Levites, this is God speaking, from among the Israelites in place of uh, the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, there to be mine, I am the Lord. So God's saying, hey, I spared all your firstborn, so actually all your firstborn belong to me. They're set apart for me. But instead of taking all of your firstborn from all the tribes, I'm just going to take all the males from one tribe, the Levites, and they will represent those that have been set apart for me for a specific purpose. So God actually has them do the, do the math. He says, okay, how many firstborn males are there in Israel at this time among all the tribes? They do the counting. It's 22,273. And then he says, okay, how many males total are there uh, in the Levitical tribe? And there's 22,000. So almost right. He says, well, you still owe me 273 males. Literally, this is what happens. And so they have to pay five shekels per male to the temple to make up for the 273 that are missing. Fascinating story. Never remember this until I studied this this week. Um, so the Levites essentially are one tribe set apart to represent all the firstborn males of all the tribes. And as I said, um, they are set apart from the rest of Israel. They enter into a special relationship with God. They have a unique role with God. Um, there's special rules that apply to the Levites that don't apply to the others. Um, there's certain clothes they wear, a certain lifestyle they have to engage in. Um, they don't inherit land, right? There's no land of the Levites. You can't go to like, here's the territory of the Levites. They're scattered throughout. God says, I'm your inheritance. You don't need an inheritance. So they are set apart for a special role in the nation of Israel. And if you think about it, that's just a microcosm of what Israel was, because Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, right? So Israel themselves had been set apart from the nations. God said, I'm choosing you as a nation of my own, and within that group, I'm choosing this subgroup, the Levites, for a special role, set apart to do something uh, unique. So in, in a sense, they, they reflected what all Israel was supposed to be in the world. So very special role. Now let's look at what, what is the role. Uh, look at verse 1 again. What are they appointed to do? Uh, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed, what? To represent the people in matters related to God. Okay? That's their role, is to represent the people in matters related to God. To be the representative, we might use the word, to be a mediator between God and the rest of the people. And what you need to know this morning is, is the Israelites would have very much felt the need for a mediator between them and God, okay? I mean, they had just come out of Egypt. They had experienced God as very gracious and merciful in rescuing them, but they had experienced him also as this very wild and holy and awesome God. They'd seen him unleash these 10 plagues, right? In Egypt, they saw him part the Red Sea, and then they come to Mount Sinai, and he shows up at Mount Sinai in like a like in fire and and smoke and lightning and thunder, and he speaks from from the mountain. And after he gets finished speaking, they tell Moses to say, "Hey, um, you talk to us. 
don't have God talk to us directly anymore, all right? That's what they say, Exodus 19. So they very much felt the need for a mediator. They, they felt the reality of how can broken, imperfect, just, you know, mortal human beings like us live in relationship with this holy, amazing, awesome God. They felt the need. We need a mediator. We need some sort of bridge between. We're so different. We need a mediator. And just as an aside, you know, it, to me, it's sad that in our modern age, we don't feel that as much anymore, right? That, that sense of, oh my gosh, like God is so big and powerful and we are so weak and we're broken and sinful and uh, we, we just don't feel that dynamic as much as they would have felt uh, at Sinai. And so God had a solution for that. And what, he had several solutions, but one of the solutions was the priest. The priest will serve as a bridge between the people and God. So we could diagram that like this, right? Um, you've got Israel, you've got God, but the priest is, is a go-between in, in, in essence, a, a way that, that um, the, the people, um, on the one hand, the people can be represented um, before God, and, and, and way, another way how God can be represented uh, by the people. So for instance, let me just show you how this actually worked out. So the priest would represent the people in matters related to God. So when the priest would come before God, he would come as the representative. He would come with them on their behalf approaching God. So this even played out in the, um, in the priestly garments. Here's a handsome uh, priest here. And uh, you know, he would enter into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies once a year. That's where um, God's presence dwelt. Uh, but he had these different things on him. He had these two stones. You see the two onyx stones on his shoulders? I know you knew that was onyx um, stones. Look at those. Um, this is what uh, the Lord says. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Uh, Aaron is to bear, listen to this, Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. So he literally is carrying the Israelites on his shoulders as he enters into God's presence. And then you have the breastplate with 12 stones, no, consequ- uh, no you know, coincidence that there's 12 stones. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the tribes of Israel. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So he comes into the tabernacle with Israel on his shoulders, the weight of Israel on his shoulders, Israel on his heart. And the Israelites would know as he enters in and communes with God in the temple, they would know we are being represented. We have representation. Our our needs are being expressed. Our cries and our prayers are being heard through the high priest. So he represented the people as he came to God. And I think the other could be said, to a lesser extent, he, in, a, in his own way, represented God to the people. He was a mediator. He could mediate God's blessing and God's forgiveness to the people. Uh, I was thinking this week of, of that priestly prayer of Aaron's that God gave them to pronounce, all the priests. Listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites say to them, many of you will be familiar with this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So the, the priest is mediating the blessing of God to the people. And the people are receiving God's blessing in a way that they can handle, <laughs> in a way that doesn't terrify them. 
They can hear with human, a human voice, God will bless you. God will turn his face to you. God loves you. It was God in a way that they could take in, that they could relate to. If you look at verse 2, take a look at verse 2. It, it captures this relatability here of the priest, uh, referring to the high priest. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness, right? This, here's a guy that I can relate to. He's a human being. He's, he's weak too. God is, man, he's out there and he's big and he's wild. I'm not sure what to do with him, but, but here's someone with skin on that, that I can relate to. And the idea is, is the priest was supposed to be a, a very pastoral shepherding presence, right? There to be gentle, there to um, encourage the people. There was a way that the people could engage in relationship with God in a way that they, they could take in and, and, and receive. All right, make sense? So that's the first role is to uh, represent um, the people in matters related to God. And then secondly, let's look at the end of verse one. Take a look. And to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, right? Now, this is, I'd say, probably the primary role of the priests, is to offer these sacrifices for sins. They were in charge of the tabernacle, or later called the temple when they moved into Israel, and the whole sacrificial system. And as most of you know, at that time, God called Israel to offer these animal sacrifices. Again, holy God, imperfect people. How do we deal with that? At that covenant... Animal sacrifices was the way that God chose. This is how I want you to deal with your sins before me. I want you to offer animal sacrifices. The sacrifices atone for, they pay for the ways that you fall short of my perfection. And if you're an Israelite, you couldn't just offer your own sacrifices. You had to have the priest offer the sacrifice. And it was a very bloody business. Again, we've got this blood theme going here the last three, three years. But if you're, a, if you're a high priest at the time, um, you are constantly around blood. You're constantly slaughtering animals. And animals are being burned. It's a smelly, stinky, bloody, messy business that reminds us of, of, of sin and, and what is needed for God to forgive sin. I thought I'd give you just one little uh, window into the... the the high priest's role in offering sacrifices, all right? So um, here's a, a picture of the tabernacle, right? It was this tent structure. And you have the outside uh, perimeter of it. And then um, you have the altar. This is an altar um, for offering sacrifices. There's a basin where you would wash. And then inside the inner structure, you have the holy place. There's the first curtain into the holy place um, there. I think I have a little image of this guy. There it is. There was an altar of incense in the holy place. And then there was another curtain into the what? The holy of holies or the most holy place. And in the most holy place, there was, of course, oh, I'm not, this is not working for me. Okay. The Ark of the Covenant, which we've all seen before. Um, right, because we've seen raiders. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Holy of Holies, it was the place where in that time God's presence, his Shekinah glory, like his unmediated presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. So on the Day of Atonement, I just want to give you a, an example of what this would be like. The Day of Atonement, the most sacred day of the year for the Israelites, this festival, this, um, yeah, uh, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies just once. And here's how it would go. I'm actually going to simplify this, but he would walk in to the, the outs, outer part, he would wash himself in the, the, with the water, the basin. 
um, he would go into the holy place, take some of the incense from the altar of incense, and bring it into the holy of holies place, and fill the room with incense, covering the top of the ark, so that there'd be almost a little bit of barrier between him and God, so he wouldn't look directly at the, the mercy seat above the ark. So he does that. Then he comes back out, and he offers a bull as a sacrifice on the altar that you can see. The bull is offered for his own sins. Okay? He's a sinful person. He's not perfect. So he offers the sacrifice of the bull. He takes the blood from the bull into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkles the blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. He comes back out, and he takes two goats, and he casts lots. One of the lots, you don't want to be either of the goats, by the way. But one of the lots falls on a goat, and he's, that goat is sacrificed on this altar as well. Uh, this, he's sacrificed for the sins of the people. And then the priest takes his blood into the holy of holy places and sprinkles that blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. Comes back out. The other goat uh, that is cast lot is uh, the, called the scapegoat, which we all know that phrase. And what the priest does is he puts his hands on the, on the goat's head and he pronounces over the, the goat the sins of Israel. And the animal bears the sins of, the, of Israel. And then another priest takes the animal and he takes him out into the wilderness and he leaves him there in the wilderness and the goat is left to wander in the wilderness for the rest of its life bearing the sins of Israel. The high priest then washes up, takes off his priestly garments and walks out. That's, um, that's the day of atonement. Okay, there we go. Um, so pretty elaborate. And I've actually simplified how it works. Um, but, but all of this is to say, that's what God, that, that was the role of the priest to offer these sacrifices on behalf of himself, on behalf of the people. But the people would know somebody, one of our own, has entered into the Holy of Holies. One of our own has been in God's immediate presence and has not been killed. Okay? Now, it was only the high priest, it was only once a year, and it was with lots of blood on his hands. But yes, we've been represented. The mercy seat, our, our sins have been declared forgiven. All right, so that's a, a summary of the, of the priests and the, and the high priests. Now, the, the book of Hebrews uh, points out all the weaknesses to that original covenant, the limitations to that original covenant. Uh, there are limitations to the tabernacle. It was just an earthly tabernacle. You had to take it down when you moved and, and put it back up like you do when you go camping. Um, and then even when they had the temple, that got destroyed. But it was just an earthly place. Um, the sacrifices themselves were very limited. I think there would always be questions in the Israelites' minds, like how does, really, how does the blood of a goat make up for my sin? Like how, does that, how is that enough to deal with my sin? And of course, there are limitations to the priests themselves, right? They were themselves, um, they were human beings, so they died. <laughs> they needed to be constantly replaced over the years. And then, of course, they were sinful people themselves. They weren't perfect. They were broken and had to offer sacrifice for their own sins as well as the sins of the people. And as you kind of hear the story of the priesthood throughout the years, you, you see that the priesthood uh, increasingly got corrupt. And these men uh, abused their power and were not the people that I think God had set out for them to be, uh, for the most part, a lot of hit and miss, as we've been saying um, throughout this series. So there's this need, of course, for something different, something superior, for a new high priest. And that takes us, of course, to Jesus. So let's, with that background, let's look at the ministry of Jesus, really the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. All right, how are we doing so far? Good. You're more than halfway there. Just want you to know that. So um, some of this is review, but really interesting stuff. Again, 
culturally so distant from us, but um, I think the, the deep truths are things that we, we deeply, are, we can relate to as much as ever. All right, so let's look at Jesus through the lens of verse one. Like I said, these, these three things that the priest did and, and how Jesus does this. Fascinating. I wish I could do a whole series on what I'm about to say, but I shan't uh, for now. So first, uh, every priest is selected from among the people. The priest is appointed by God, and that is very true of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't run for a high priest. He was point, appointed by God, his father. Look at verse five. Uh, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming high priest. No, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. He was appointed by God. Um, First Peter tells us that he was appointed, he was chosen before the foundation of the world to be our high priest. Now that should raise an issue for you. Um, Jesus was not a Levite, was he? What what tribe is Jesus from? Judah. Judah, right? That's the tribe where what kinds of people come from? Kings, right? Kings, right? So he's from the kingly uh, uh, tribe. So how can Jesus, a non-Levite, ever fulfill the role of high priest? Well, we have it in verse 6, and this is where I'd love to preach a sermon that I'm not going to get to preach today, um, but I'll give you a little glimpse into it. Verse 6, God says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order, not of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek. So you are a priest, but from a different order of people than the order of the Levites. Now, Melchizedek is this mysterious figure that shows up for three verses in the book of Genesis. Fascinating story. This is 500 years before Sinai, before God institutes the Levites as priests. So he predates the Levites. 500 years earlier-ish, Abraham is in the land of Canaan, and his nephew Lot has been captured by these kings. So Abraham and his servants and men go, and they they, they take on these kings in battle, and they defeat these kings, and they, they bring back Lot safely, and they bring the spoils of victory with them, all right? So they're coming back. I want to read you these, these just very strange verses. After Abraham uh, returned from defeating Ketelamar, if I had a boy, it would be Ketelamar, and the kings allied with him, uh, the king of Sodom, okay, the king of Sodom's not a good guy, I'll let you know that, came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then, here we go, then Melchizedek, King of Salem, this is the first time and the only time we hear of him in Genesis, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, okay? First time this guy's shown up. He's the king of Salem, most likely, ancient Jerusalem, okay? Um, And he brings out uh, a meal for Abraham after Abraham has won this victory. And it tells us he was a priest of God Most High. And I'm wondering, what is a priest of God Most High doing 500 years before Aaron? I have no idea. But there he is. He's a priest of God Most High. (laughs) And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything, of the spoils of war. So you have this guy who's both a king and a priest, shows up out of nowhere, and what is clear in the passage, what Hebrews makes clear, is this guy, whoever he is, he is superior in some senses, even to Abraham. And if you're a Jew, nobody's superior to Abraham. But this guy blesses Abraham. Hebrews says, it's always the greater person who blesses the lesser person. And he doesn't tithe to Abraham, but Abraham actually tithes, which is what Israel did to the priests. He gives a tenth of what he received to Melchizedek. And then the guy disappears, and you never hear about him again in the story. 
So you have this ancient priest king from Jerusalem who shows up and performs the function of a priest, gives a meal to Abraham, blesses Abraham, and Abraham performs the function that Israelites were to do of the priest in giving a tenth of their things to him. And then he disappears. <laughs> it's just this fascinating story. And then, and then the, he shows up again in the Psalms, in Psalm 110. So if you look at verse 6 of our passage, David, now a thousand years later, is writing a psalm, and he's prophesying about the future Messiah, the future king of Israel. And he says this about the future king. You are a priest forever. This is quoting from Psalm 110. In the order of Melchizedek. Kings aren't priests, but he's saying of the future Messiah, you'll be a king priest, but you won't be a Levite. You're from the tribe of Judah. You will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This guy who has no beginning or end, we don't know his genealogy, just shows up. He's like, he's like this timeless figure. And Hebrews says, well, that, that actually sounds a lot like someone else I know, right? And so Hebrews now is, is, is showing us Jesus he is a priest. He's been appointed by, by God. He's not from the Levitical line. He's actually from a superior line to that, from the line of Melchizedek. Fascinating story. I would love to give a whole sermon on that. Um, he's the eternal priest in the same ways that Melchizedek is eternal in that sense. He's without genealogy. All right, so he is appointed by God. Uh, secondly, what does it say? Verse back to verse one, right? So he's uh, appointed. Uh, why? To represent the people in matters related to God, right? Jesus fulfills the role of representing his people in matters related to God, of being our representative, our mediator, right? First Timothy 2, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So to go back to our, um, our picture here, right? Jesus is the bridge. He's, he's the mediator for us. He, he mediates God's blessing and God's presence to us on the one hand, right? That's what the Gospels and all the New Testament talk about. Um, John 1.18, right? No one's ever seen God, but the only Son of God, he has made him known. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, um, the God who has uh, shown light in our hearts has, has given us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God, but we see it in a way that we can take in without being destroyed, right? We see God, he's God with skin on. God in a way that we can relate to, that we, that, that we can understand, because he's one of us too. So he mediates God's blessing and God's presence to us. He is God, after all, that helps. Um, and then, on the other hand, he, he brings us before the Lord. He represents us in his life on earth. As he obeyed God, as he lived this perfect life, he does so as our representative. He's doing it on our behalf. As he dies, his death, the sacrifice, which we'll talk about in a second, he is doing that. He is dying on our behalf, right? I mean, to go with this image you've seen a couple weeks ago, um, he's dying as, as our representative, right? I'm thinking back to the, those two onyx stones, right? Aaron is to bear the names of Israel on his shoulders. And that's what Jesus is doing, right? He is bearing the sins of his people on his shoulders, on, in his body. He's becoming sin as our representative. So with that, let's turn to this final idea. He represents us before God. And then the last thing we said in verse 1 and the priest offers sacrifices to 
God. So I want to I talk about the sacrifice of Jesus for a second, then we'll wrap up, um, through the lens of Hebrews, which is a little bit different than maybe the way you're normally used to seeing it. So turn to chapter 9, uh, verse 11. I'm going to read four, four or five verses here. Chapter 9, verse 11. It's going to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus as our high priest. Really fascinating stuff. Uh, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is, not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. All right, so um, let me give you the image again. Here's the image that, that the author is running with here. He's saying Christ didn't enter an earthly holy of holies, right? And what Hebrews says is actually the earthly holy of holies that God had them set up at Sinai was just a copy of a heavenly sanctuary, The the real thing is in heaven, where God's unmediated presence always is. And that's the Holy of Holies that Jesus entered, not some physical location in a temple or sanctuary. And how did he do it? Well, like the high priest, he walked in, and he came to the, the altar of sacrifice, and he offered a sacrifice. Not the sacrifice of a bull or a goat, but he offered the sacrifice of himself. Something the the other high priest would never have dreamt of doing. Why? Well, because they're not perfect. (laughs) That wouldn't make any sense for them to do that. But he was a perfect high priest. And so he offers himself as a sacrifice. And through his own death and resurrection, he then enters into the Holy of Holies. Not an earthly Holy of Holies, but in heaven where God is. Now he is seated at the right hand of God in God's unmediated presence in the Holy of Holies. And he remains there. Not one day out of the year like the Day of Atonement, but permanently he serves as a high priest in the Holy of Holies faithfully through his one sacrifice. That's how he gets it. You see the image? Does that make sense? Isn't that beautiful? He is, verse 15 says, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to say this new covenant is superior in every way to the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. Let me walk you through these. The new covenant is superior in every way. It is a better sanctuary that we have now. Verse 24 says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. This is not a sanctuary that can ever be um, destroyed or taken down. It remains in heaven forever. Okay? Uh, he, uh, it is a better sacrifice, <laughs> of course. Um, uh, this is another place in Hebrew. Hebrews, day after day, every priest, these are the high priests, stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay? It is an infinitely better sacrifice, not the sacrifice of an animal, but of the eternal Son of God, that perfectly cleanses God's people from all sin. 
There is no need for a daily or a weekly or an annual sacrifice. Once for all. It is finished, as Jesus says on the cross. It's done. It never needs to be repeated again. Your sins are completely cleaned once and for all. And of course, all this means a better high priest, a way better high priest. Uh, he lives forever. You never need to replace this guy. Okay? He, cons- he cons- just constantly serves in God's temple, and he is sinless. He, he doesn't need to sacrifice for his own sins. Here it is. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. That's what he's doing right now in heaven. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy. He's not imperfect, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. It is in every way a superior covenant. Amen? Amen. All right, does that make sense? You with me? Okay. So, all right. What's the point? That's fun. That's good. That's great. What's the point? Uh, let me give you this, this verse in Hebrews. Um, here's the takeaway. Here's how we are to live in light of everything I just said about blood and goats and temples and tent structures and all of that. Here it is. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, here it is. Let us approach God's throne of grace with, what's the word? confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The point is that word confidence, or your translation might say boldness or assurance, meaning in light of who our high priest is, we no longer have to come to God cowering like those Israelites did at Mount Sinai, freaked out. No, no, we get to step into God's presence like kids who run and jump into their father's lap with full confidence and assurance and warmth, knowing that we will be received. Not because we're perfect, not because we're any better than the Israelites, but because our high priest has performed the sacrifice we need and continues to live on our behalf every day. And so we can enter into God's presence and engage with him with confidence, with assurance, resting, in his approval and his delight and his love for us as his kids. That's the point. And so I want to leave you with that idea and just ask you, where do you need to experience that assurance and confidence with God? For some of you, it might be these voices of accusation. We've talked about that in this series. These ways where you know you fall so far short of God and you continue to mess up and you experience shame and guilt and accusation. You feel unworthy of God. You, you really don't know how to engage God because you don't feel like, I'm kind of second class. Like, I don't know how to do this exactly. And so when you come to prayer, when you gather and worship, there's this, you kind of create this protective barrier between yourself and God because you know, you, you know there's a bunch of stuff in there that you don't know what to do with. And so I just want to encourage you in that place to instead embrace the new covenant and approach God with boldness. Let me take you back to this verse I just read to you. For by one sacrifice, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. <laughs> so that's us, okay? We're being made holy, meaning we're not perfect. <laughs> we're in process. We are being made more and more like Jesus, but we are not there. And yet he has already made us perfect in God's sight with the full approval of the Father forever. For all our imperfections, we're already perfected in a sense in God's sight, even though we still have a long ways to go. And so take that in. I've been made perfect forever. It is finished. Nothing more needs to be done. I don't have to have a veil between me and God. I'm not a second-class Christian. I can enter in as God's child and approach him with boldness and confidence, like a kid who runs in and asks his dad for food or for whatever. Okay, we can do that. And then the other way I would encourage us to have confidence is, is maybe not in our sins and our, our, you know, the accusation, but just in the trials and the, the, the temptations of life. And I would encourage you to think, like, what, right now, what are you going through? What are the trials? What are the, what are the challenges that you are experiencing right now? And what would it look like to engage Jesus, your high priest, in a time of challenge, in, in things that you don't know what to do about? He's your high priest, okay? He wants to come alongside you, and he knows exactly what it's like to be you. There's nothing, no trial that you can take on that is, that is worse than what he's taken on. So he relates. He gets it, meaning he can be a, a, a confidant. He can be a helper. He can be a companion. He can be a brother. And so what would it look like in your trials not to try to figure them out on your own, but to engage Jesus? Jesus, help me. I need help. I don't know what to do here. You need to solve this for me. I don't, how do I? I need strength. Well, he's great at that, and he gets it. That's what Hebrews is all about. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize, right? We've got one who's been tempted in every way as we have, but he didn't sin. But he, he knows every temptation. He's, he's been there. For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So don't try to do it on your own. Run to Jesus with confidence. Jesus, I need your help. I promise you. He says, I get it. I've been there. In fact, I've been a lot worse than where you are right now. Like, I've seen it all. I really have seen it all. Worse than you have. I'm there. I love you. I'll walk with you. So have the confidence to engage him. Don't do it on your own. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to worship in a minute through song. And let's worship with boldness. Let's worship with confidence, with assurance that God looks at this and is delighted, not because we have great voices, uh, not because we live perfect lives, not because our hearts are sincere, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what makes all this acceptable in work. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll close. We're going to sing three songs on the back end to worship Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we today focus on one aspect of who you are. And we just are so thankful that you are high priest, that you know what it's like to be human, <laughs> you get it, um, and that you offered a perfect sacrifice for us, uh, that you stand in God's presence right now as his son, and you intercede for us. We are represented. One of us is there with God the Father always. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would just take these truths and make them real in our lives. Fill our hearts with deep assurance and confidence and love and approval that we would know that you just, you love us. And then we can come to you and you're there to help us.
We need to be reminded of that. So do that, we pray. Even as we sing now, may we receive the help we need. Whatever we're going through this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.